This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. That's Isaiah, the fifth chapter, verses 22 through 23. And now I'm turning over to Isaiah 28 and starting with verse 7. And it says, For they also have erred through wine, and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. That's Isaiah 28, verses 7 and 8. Hi, it's Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, your host for The Voice of Leadership and for Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. And today we are talking about leading with wisdom by choosing to be sober-minded. I grew up in a family that was an alcohol and drug-free home. And the reason that my parents made a choice to raise us in an alcohol and drug-free environment is because there was significant alcoholism on both sides of my family. And as a result, they chose not to drink and to raise us not to drink. When we visited the homes of other relatives, that's when we saw and were exposed to other people who made a choice and the decision to drink alcohol. I saw people who were normal when sober and who became dangerous when they were drinking in some cases. So from an early age, I got an early view of the consequences of drinking. In episode 443 of The Voice of Leadership, my podcast is about celebrating my 50 years in the workplace. And as I celebrate those 50 years, I give some examples from from some of my jobs, some of the positions that I've held over the years. Obviously, I couldn't cover all the jobs because there were so many in 50 years, although I covered a subset. There was one job I didn't cover, and I'd like to talk about it today because it relates to what I learned about today's subject. And that job was my job in college when I worked many years as a late night desk receptionist in the dormitories. And as a late night desk receptionist, you see all kinds of things. Since I was working the late shift, that was the time all the parties took place. And there were a lot of what they called mixers, which would be these outdoor party events where they would have live bands that would come in. There would be a keg of beer. And in order to get into the dormitory where I was working, You had to show your room key to come in, or if you didn't live there and you were just coming in to use the restroom 
or visit someone, you had to leave your ID at the desk and you had to sign in. So people would come in from these mixers and I could see the effects of alcohol on them and in their systems. And as they came in, some were ill, some had stomach upset, some were had vomiting, they had slurred speech, and some were stumbling around and speaking incoherently. And I was particularly grieved by the many young women that I saw who were coming in in this inebriated state and also in a very vulnerable state to be taken advantage of, and people who were rushing to get to restrooms on time and things of that sort. This left a lasting impression on me that every night I am seeing the impact and the effects of alcohol on people. And I thought to myself, especially about the women, I said, if they could see themselves and if they really knew how they looked and what was happening, would they still choose to drink to excess? I wondered about that. And I thought to myself, this is not a way that I personally would ever like to be seen or would ever like to show up. And so it just left me with a decision and a commitment to continue what my parents had actually already started and what they had taught me. So I want to read another section of scripture that I think describes very well the picture that I saw night after night as a night desk receptionist. And this is from Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, starting with verse 29. And it says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the glass when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, or like one who lies at the top of the mast, saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? That's the life that I saw night after night, people seeking the next drink, people engaged in fights and conflicts and brawls, people who were speaking nonsense and not probably knowing all that they were saying and all that they were doing. And we find that in Ephesians 5.18, the scripture says, do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, is what some translation says, wherein is dissipation, as others say, or wherein is debauchery. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. We also find in Proverbs 20 and 1, where it says that wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And that's really the whole point. It's about wisdom and it's about the choices that we are making. In my own family, I saw that those who drank excessively or to excess, some of them caused significant and serious harm 
to others, both in and out of the family, leading to generations of significant and serious trauma. Others primarily caused harm to themselves, and almost all of those died early deaths. When I look at my family, those who lived into their late 80s and late 90s, these were people who did not drink to excess, and most of those were also people who were filled with the Spirit of God, and they didn't drink at all. And to this day, the four children of my parents don't drink or take drugs, because that's how we were raised. I remember when I met my husband, and he and I were both in the army. And those of you who have a military background, whether army or another branch of the service, know that in many military contexts, there is a strong culture of drinking. However, my husband and I did not belong to that particular culture of drinking. And in fact, we were odd ducks in some other ways, because at that time, and even now, neither one of us even drinks coffee. So that was unusual in a military context, fighting people who didn't drink coffee. I later learned, because my parents both drank coffee, but for the children, they only gave us tea when we were sick. And we it was regular tea with caffeine, and we had honey and lemon with it if we were ill, but we didn't drink coffee. And my father drank coffee for many years, the caffeinated version, and they had problems with that. So he switched to decaf, and that still didn't work. And what I learned ultimately is that he has a problem with caffeine. And I found out I have a problem with caffeine, which I didn't know. And there was a bottled tea I was drinking, which I thought was caffeine free. And I ended up in the hospital emergency room and I had three days of wearing a heart monitor only as to discover as I researched everything I ate and drank, I discovered that that tea, which claimed to have no caffeine, actually had a trace amount of caffeine. And that's what I was responding to. And so I couldn't even drink caffeinated tea, coffee, or any of those things. So when my husband and I got married, we did champagne toast at our wedding. And that was really the only time he and I would drink would be something like that. Or if it was the new year, sometimes we would drink less than a glass of champagne for each of us on the new year. So our first home together was in Germany. And I remember having a champagne toast on New Year's Eve in Germany. And somewhere along the line, my husband just decided that this was not for us anymore, that we were not going to be drinkers. It was no problem for me because neither one of us were drinkers anyway. This was the only time of year that we drank was basically sips of champagne on New Year's Eve. And so we stopped drinking altogether. We didn't even drink anymore on New Year's Eve. And what was interesting is that we were in Europe where there's all kinds of fine wine and where people, you know, drink alcohol with their meals routinely. And we were in Germany, which has some of the greatest wines also. But however, here's what I would say. We discovered the German Traubensofts. Traubensoft means grape juice. They had some of the best tasting grape juices I've ever tasted in my life. And they had all kinds of vineyards. And these were completely non-alcoholic. They were soft drinks, the Traubensoft, and they were delicious. So we started drinking Traubensoft as our drink of choice while we were in Germany and while we were in Europe. Later, after we came back to the United States and we discovered Martinelli sparkling apple cider, 
that became our non-alcoholic soft drink and drink of choice for celebrating any special occasion. And we still drink that today. Now, I'll mention, just in case someone thinks I'm saying this, it's clear that the Bible doesn't forbid drinking alcohol, although you will see many uh, scriptures that warn about the dangers of it. What the Bible focuses on is drunkenness, drinking to excess, to where your faculties are affected and you're no longer thinking with a sober mindset. So that's what's forbidden is the drunkenness, not necessarily having a glass of wine with dinner or anything as such. So in my case, I made personal choices because of my family history. The family history being African-American and Native American, specifically Cherokee on both sides of the family. And I felt that these populations were particularly vulnerable populations. And because there was so much alcoholism, I didn't know if I would be a person who would have that vulnerability or not. And I did not want to find out the hard way and then be stuck in some route that I couldn't get out of. And so that was my personal choice for those reasons. So today, and for many years, my drink of choice is really water. And I will drink all kinds of fancy purified bottled waters if I can find them. And for more than 30 some years now, I have attended lots of corporate parties, corporate events, social hours and dinners in the U.S. and abroad. And I have not found it to be a problem that I'm drinking water or some other soft drink that I might choose to drink while attending these functions and other people are drinking alcohol. I've heard others say that they would find this difficult. For me, it has not been so. What I've discovered is that people respect your choices if you respect your own choices. And if you have a deeply held conviction, it's been my experience that people will honor that and that they will also respect what you are respecting for yourself. I also would refer you to another podcast episode, which is episode number 360, when I am interviewing a guest, Stephen Perry, and he tells his story and the commitments that he and his wife chose to make after some time as well. So feel free to listen to that because it is also a powerful example of someone making a choice about strong intoxicating drink, and they are a key business person. And I'd like to just share one of my favorite readings that's on the subject, which comes from Proverbs, the 31st chapter. And we often think about Proverbs 31 as the chapter for the virtuous woman, which it is. However, at the beginning of that chapter, there are some wise words for those who are in significant positions of leadership. We get to hear a mother's advice and counsel to her son, who is a king. And this is what she says. Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart, 
Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. That was Proverbs 31, verses 2 through 7. And here's what I would say to those of us who are in the business world and to you who are a marketplace ministry leader. God has put you in a significant role of responsibility that you would be able to make wise decisions for the company and also for people who you lead in the company. If you want to have the wisdom that's necessary to lead according to God's way with soberness of mind, then it's really important to be filled with the Spirit of God rather than with an alcoholic substance that clouds your judgment and clouds sobriety. When we talk about being sober-minded, it's being rational, it's being sensible, it's being level-headed, and it's also being single-minded for Christ and his purpose for your life. So I share this with you as just an example of a way to make sure that you hear and act on the wisdom of God in your workplace and remain sober-minded for his purposes. In some parts of the world, including the United States, loneliness, depression, and suicide are at an all-time high. With me today is Dr. Clarence Schuler, President and CEO of Building Lasting Relationships. He personally experienced a bout of depression. Dr. Schuler, tell us a little bit about what you learned in your experience and what resources you have available for us. Well, mental health is a really big thing in America today, like you said, and African-American men are the number one depressed group in America, and I think men in general would come into that. And when I went through my depression, it was really a thing about idolatry. I hate to say that, but I was trying to validate myself by how much money I made or my success. And I was fortunate enough to have a Christian counselor, Dr. Monique Gadsden, who helped me work through that. So now I'm managing my depression more effectively. And so one of the resources that we have is our book, Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. And so I hope you will use it as a resource just to see where you are emotionally. It's not a sin to be depressed. So I just want to encourage you and give you hope that your depression can be come under control. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Schuler. And what I want everyone to know, as he already said, this is a book that was co-written with his counselor. So it is the real deal. If you want to know more about the book or more about services that are available to deal with depression and loneliness, go to drclarenceschuler.com. That's clarenceschuler.com. Today, I'm here with Terrence Chapman, the president and CEO of nonprofit organization Victorious Family. They are committed to family discipleship and transformation. Thank you for being here, Terrence. Tell us about your big goal, what it is that you're going for at Victorious Family. Well, by 2030, we see reaching 9.2 million families here in the U.S., That is wonderful. And you're reaching these families because you really want to see children grow up and truly continue their faith in Christ. So tell us about one of your resources. Do your children believe the book you've written? 
Well, Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers don't exasperate your children, but to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we're just being faithful to that calling. In order to do that, we train coaches and we provide workshops and content to train parents on how to disciple their children. That is phenomenal. So how can people find out more about the ministry and the other tools and resources you have available and also how they can donate to support the ministry? Well, one of those two is Do Your Children Believe, a book that we've published by Thomas Nelson. And you can find that at victoriousfamily.org. Fantastic. All right. So there you have it. You want your family to be victorious? Go to victoriousfamily.org. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.